0: You're listening to episode number 28 of Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast. Today, our special guest is Diane Hansen. This is a unique episode. We aren't exploring a specific polarity today, but talking with Diane about polarity thinking as an essential skill for leaders. Diane is a very wise leader, so don't go away.
1: Welcome to the Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast. We're so grateful you've joined us today. I'm Tracy. And I'm Michelle. We've been interprofessional partners in healthcare for over 30 years.
0: During that time, we've been engaged in healthcare transformation and the development of healthy healing work cultures that result in the best places to give and receive care. We've engaged with healthcare leaders from across North America, and we are tired of seeing
1: time, money, and resources wasted on change efforts that are not sustainable. In this podcast, we explore significant, reoccurring, and competing challenges faced by all healthcare leaders today using a brand new lens called polarity thinking, the missing logic in healthcare. You could say we represent the money ball of healthcare. We're here to expand your current thinking and challenge your reliance on problem-solving tactics. Hello, it's Michelle and Tracy. Welcome back, everybody. I'm really excited today, Michelle. This is just a great episode, a great interview with a dear colleague and friend that we've known for a long time, which you'll tell more about that. But she, you know, I'm so excited is she's a master polarity thinker. Now, this is a girl. That lives with intention, boy, right? And she leads with intention. And she is going to share with our listeners some just really awesome tips, things that she's done, her journey around embracing polarity thinking, how she's applied it in her life as a leader, how she's applied it, you know, just in every aspect of her life and um, just great insights. And I, I just can't wait for people to learn from her.
0: Me either. In fact, I can't wait to hear this again and again.
1: Yeah, I'm <laughs> <It>, going to listen. <laughs>
0: it's an excellent interview. And uh, as Tracy alluded, I've known Diane for a long time. Truth be known, I've known her since grade school. So we've been on a personal journey and a professional journey for a long time. And of course, we've had the privilege to work with her you know, in the field in a lot of different situations. And how she has applied the principles of polarities to her life is phenomenal. So very grateful for her being with us today and sharing her experience and I really predict that um, her future is going to be even more amazing because she's still on the journey and applying polarity thinking and sharing it with others like she has been. I think I look forward to even watching the future unfold.
1: Yeah. Well, it's been great to watch her transformation and, uh, and for her to have such a transformational impact on everybody that she leads.
0: Yes. Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit more about Diane's background. Diane Hansen is EBSCO Health CNO and the Editor-in-Chief of Dynamic Health. In this role, she provides leadership direction for nursing and allied health reference and clinical decision support strategies for the organization. After spending several years working in a hospital organization... In various clinical and leadership positions, Diane has been focused on improving quality and evidence-based practice at the point of care through clinical decision support, health informatics, and analytics. Uh, she brings over 25 years of experience in the healthcare industry, most recently as vice president of product strategy and management at Vizian Incorporation. Previously, she served as uh, Elsevier's general manager within their CDS division and within Eclipsis, later scripts, as an EVP leadership role. So a lot of experience with analytics, technology, practice. She's also a well-published author and speaker on evidence-based practice and clinical decision support. Diane holds a degree in nursing from Grand Valley State University and a master's in management from Aquinas College. She uh, was recently inducted as a fellow in the National Academies of Practice. And sort of hot off the press, you want to hear this? Sure. I always want to hear about Diane's adventures. Yes. Well, she is the founding president of the Great Lakes Chapter of the American Nursing Informatics Association. Wow. Very
1: so, impressive. So she just keeps going. She does. She does. And she's And you know, I have been led by Diane. I've reported to Diane. She's a fabulous leader and she is going to share some really awesome stuff with you guys. So without further ado. Here's Diane.
0: Hello, Diane Hansen. Welcome to our podcast. Hi,
2: Tracy and Michelle.
1: Hi, we're so <laughs> excited to have you here today. Yeah.
2: It's yeah. so good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh,
1: you bet. You are very welcome.
0: Well, we wanted to start out and share something with our listeners that we know about you, but we want them to know this about you, and that is that you and your husband have a travel bug these days. <laughs>
2: Oh, we sure do. It's true. We love to travel. (laughs) We made an agreement early in our marriage to not wait until retirement to travel. And of course, it's a little bit harder when your kids are small, but uh, we have been blessed with a lot of really exciting trips. So it's kind of really hard, you know, to pick a favorite, but uh, we do a fair amount of traveling and we're always kind of planning the next one. Where are you going next? Um, right now, I think that the next big trip is about a year from now, and we're going to be going to Spain and Portugal. Wow. And so we're in the midst of planning that trip right now. So it should be really exciting, and it kind of hits the bucket list. Yeah. Yeah. Never been there.
0: I can't wait to hear all about it. Yeah, that me exciting. Either.
2: Mm. Cool. Yeah, we're excited about it.
1: Yeah. That's great. Yeah, we
2: definitely try to balance those activities, you know, activity and rest on our vacations. So we typically do things where we do a lot of hiking, and then we also have part of the trip where we do the relaxing part
1: so that we balance that really nicely. Yeah, I've always been impressed with how planned your vacations are. I know. Are.
2: Well, yes, we are planners, but Phil does most of it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you always have a great time. You always look happy in your pictures. So, yeah, I think that's great. Kudos to you. Kudos to you. I'm a like, let's go to the beach and just hang out kind of a (laughs) gal.
2: Yes. Well, those can be fun trips, too. Sometimes you just need to relax. You just have to know that about yourself. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, Diane, uh, let's start our conversation today with talking a little bit about your passion for leadership. You've been, you're an awesome leader. I I don't even, I, I can't even begin to tell our audience about your leadership, how many leadership positions you've had, how awesome you are as a leader. And you're obviously, you know, very passionate about it. So we know you've had a lot of leadership roles, but tell us a little bit about, you know, what you think most about being in a leadership role. Like what is your passion around that? What drives you as a leader?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, you're making me blush with all the great compliments, but um, I, I, I really have this personal vision of creating a better healthcare system for future generations. So I think it goes back to my personal mission first. And you know, you can show up in many places to actually live out that particular passion and vision for how you feel like you fit in the broader world. But I really feel like to accomplish it, I chose a path where I wanted to step into leadership so that I could have really more of a broader impact in healthcare overall. So, kind of, you step out of doing the day-to-day and you step up and can you know, lift your head up and take a look at where you can help in the world and um, in leading initiatives and efforts and new innovations uh, for a market that desperately needs it and then the people that you lead along the way. So you know I get great joy in doing that. Um, you learn quickly as a leader that you can't do it alone. Um, and so it's important to really support and grow future generations of leaders who can carry the work, you know, beyond you within your leadership journey, but also beyond the work that you do in the world. And so, you know, it's also really fun to have a team to do great work with. And I love mentoring and teaching leadership through doing, you know, like leading by example and helping individuals to step up and into all their diverse talents and gifts and help them really um, expose that in themselves. And um, I just love it when I can see growth in others and hear them tell their success stories and know that I was a little seed along the way. So it's amazing to watch that. And so that's why I love leadership. It gives me a chance to do that. Well, it
0: certainly shows. And being around many of your followers and team members, um, they really appreciate having a leader like you. So that's really
2: awesome. Well, I appreciate them as well. It's all mm-hmm. about the team.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, we wanted to inquire a little bit. We know that you have a history of polarity thinking, and we've done a lot of polarity work with you in the past, Diane. If you could just share with our listeners how you were first introduced and maybe some of your aha moments as a leader of how important this skill set is in leadership. Sure.
2: Well, I think if I go back in time, Back to the future. (laughs) I think it was like the late 90s. And I was working at that time with the two of you on the CPM framework. And really the goal was to improve professional practice at the point of care. And so we were looking at providing tools and really helping strengthen cultures so that patients were cared for in their um, wholeness and teams would work more effectively together. And they had the tools they needed to do that. And there were a lot of barriers and challenges in healthcare organizations at the time, as there still exists today. And these challenges were prevalent and steeped in those historical patterns, right? We, so we started uncovering these historical patterns of behavior. And so we saw them as challenges that needed to shift. And so the, a lot of the work in the beginning was attempting to shift from something what we thought was old, to something that was new, some new way of thinking or doing. And so we spent a good deal of time trying to figure out how to help organizations and clinicians who had been living on what I call now the downside of one-sided thinking to shift them to this new way. And so um, we, we discussed those patterns as like a new way of thinking, and we called them paradigm shifts, if you recall. And... With some of that shifting, we actually had some pretty good initial outcomes and successes in shifting because those were long-standing patterns where we were living in the downside. And so it felt good to shift to the other side for a while because, you know, we were living so much in the downside. And so we had those beginning outcomes, but what happened then over time is those outcomes weren't sustained because we were just shifting to the other side and not attending to the side we left. So instead of it being a shift, we had to understand that we had to maintain the upsides of both. And so soon after that, when we were realizing that the outcomes weren't being sustained with the work you know, and there was such a great desire to have sustained outcomes in organizations is uh, when our team overall met Bonnie um, or met Barry Johnson. So I think Bonnie Wazorek met Barry Johnson and saw a connection with the work that he was doing in understanding polarity thinking. And it was probably why we were not sustaining our outcomes because we were attempting to shift instead of maintain the upsides. And Barry really helped us see that they weren't problems to be solved, but more they were polarities to be managed. And so at the time, then, we engaged Barry Johnson with our healthcare consortium. And so I think some of the most impactful work we did early on – in that healthcare consult- consortium in healthcare was convening them as a group of thinkers you know people who could be in deep dialogue and they had already been taught dialogue skills so we could you know really focus on what are those polarities or interdependent opposites in healthcare that we were managing, and that we could apply? Um, we could apply what Barry Johnson had been doing in other segments like business, churches, and governments. Um, and then we got together and we identified those top polarities in healthcare, and then developed maps for each of those. Um, some beginning thinking around maps so that we would have a place to begin our conversation and collaboration. And so I think that's when really our thinking shift shifted overall collectively on what we were trying to do. And we had some big ahas here about what the potential was in really going back and seeing how we could sustain work overall. Um, I think the other thing we learned is that some of the more complicated polarities in healthcare have these underlying crux polarities. And if you can spend time kind of going to the base or the crux polarity and understand those first you can apply it to some of the higher or or harder polarities that exist in healthcare because healthcare is complex. And so I think uh, once you understand and believe in the logic and predictability of polarity thinking, then it really unlocks your ability to move forward with that sustainability versus swinging from one side to the other. And um, you begin solving what you considered like an unsolvable problem. So I think that was the biggest and hugest aha in the work that we were doing and what we were leading nationally and internationally at the time. So. Yeah,
0: yeah. Tracy and I are both smiling because we're we're right there with you in the memory of the power of doing it with a collective group where the intention was really clear and how we learned so much together on uncovering these polarities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it yeah. was
1: really... I guess I would call divine intervention, <laughs> right? <laughs> that that Barry Johnson came into our life. Yeah. I mean, really, because yeah. we would never have figured it out, like really over the long, I mean, it, because it took time, right? Yeah. We've been doing yes. that work for quite a long time and shifting people, right? And helping them move from and to, and we would have kept moving from and to and trying to figure out how to solve some of these chronic challenges, you know, if we hadn't really gotten that framework and the language and the the uh, mapping, right, to really make it visible and to really engage, as you said, in that deeper mm-hmm, dialogue mm-hmm. to make it clear what was actually happening. I, I just, mm-hmm. you know, I just am so grateful. Oh, yeah, me too. That we were had that exposure, right? Yeah, absolutely.
2: And this is kind of one of those examples where sometimes different industries can be in silos. And so it's like looking to other industry or other work that's being done in other places and applying it back to your industry and getting some of that cross-pollination of innovative thinking. So I really, you know, that was a true gift at the time.
0: Mm -hmm. And of course, like the three of us know is that, you know, once you see polarities in healthcare, you see them everywhere and then your challenge to personally apply polarity thinking in your life and your work. And um, so share with us how you began to actually apply it into your work and life, Diana. What, was, what did you find helpful in looking back?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a great question about the journey, right? Um, Well, first of all, when you learn about it, you're right. You start seeing them everywhere. So um, I think the first aha you have is you don't look at things the same way anymore. And at first you think it's really simple. And then you realize that it's complex. But then sometimes you have to start simple so that you can learn to go complex with it. Right. So when I think back to when I first started, I I didn't initially start applying the principles in my workplace or with my work teams because I was scared to, you know, I didn't quite know how to approach it. And I didn't want to seem like I was bringing some weird concept um, or the flavor of the month. Like you have to have some experience with it first so that you believe in it. Right. So I think with any new concept or change in life, it really, I, I truly believe it has to start with you. And so I spent time reflecting on my own, um, polarities in my own life. I looked at when I was trying to, um, make a shift or do something different. I paid attention to that. I, um, some of the polarities that we talked about in healthcare, I examined my preference side. So I did that a little bit more. I think that was important. I paid attention to when I had strong opinions about things and tried to uncover why and what I was fearful on the other side. So a lot of it was just self-reflection. And then I also took a couple things that I was dealing with at home and I actually created my own maps. And so it's like uh, documenting your own maps. Like I did one around um, rest and activity, uh, which was a really easy one to do for myself. A lot of times around you know, the New Year's, you put in New Year's resolutions where you're gonna exercise more and then you kick that off and you're doing way too much of that. You end up becoming sore and then you quit. So it's like managing rest activity is really important in, um, as an example. And so it was really easy to be able to draw a map for myself and realize like, what are my, what are the downsides if I focus on one versus the other? And then what are some of my personal red flags? So I just started kind of doing it on my own and to getting, you know, to get comfortable with the concepts and the words that I was using. And, um, I'm also a big planner. Those Both of you know me. I do a lot of planning. I'm very intentional. My plans are always much bigger than what I can always achieve. Um, and what I do realize then, you know, you can be a great planner, but you have to take action. You have to start taking small steps towards the plan you have, or you just live in the downside of only planning and never really taking enough action. And then your plan is never fully realized. So, you start to see it show up in your own life and you just have to be real with yourself. Right. So it does start with you. So I guess I just really support anybody who's getting started, you know, to support your own work first and learn uh, about yourself because I think it helps you be a lot more authentic when you start working with others.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, what I appreciate about that approach is it does give you a chance to just get familiar Right and to to experience it because it is a feeling. Right, it's those tensions, and yes. um, and so it's giving you that personal experience of you know going along and really making progress, and then over focusing and feeling and really getting a sense of what that feels like, what that tension feels like, and. Why there's a draw to the other side, right? You know, we always use the breathing, the inhale, exhale as an example. Mm-hmm. And I think because you can feel the tension, right? So you begin to recognize it right away and you get better and better at recognizing that. So I appreciate that, that, you know, kind of work and working on your own personal ones like planning and executing, you know, to fine tune your skills with that and. Um, I think that's that's just a great way for people to, to get to know this. I didn't start there, so <laughs> yeah, like I just dive head first. So like, oh, okay, let's just go right for the work ones. <laughs> so I appreciate it. I'm coming back around to those personal yeah. ones though. So. <laughs> you can't yeah. get away from them.
2: <laughs> well, you develop the language with yourself too. You know, you begin to play with the language like upsides, downsides. Getting the best of both and red flags and, you know, I think when you do it yourself, you kind of try on the language too so that it's kind of like developing an elevator speech so that you can quickly explain it to someone else and have it make sense. But if you've not practiced on yourself explaining it, then when you have an opportunity,
1: you don't know what to say. So I think it gives you the words. Yeah. Well, wow. and, and you yeah. can explain it to your family. You can explain yes. it to your friends, right? You don't have to explain it to your colleagues right away, right? That's and your right. family's pretty much going, oh boy, here we go again. <laughs> yes. Another polarity mom's playing it with, right? Yes. But I know that that's one of the things and one of the ways that you've also applied it, right, is in your personal life with your family and really helping your family with some of their challenges. Can you share a couple of examples maybe, Diane, with our audience about how you might have used it that way as well?
2: Sure. I'll kind of um, explain a little bit about what I did next after I focused on myself. So I think the next easy place to go with it was, you know, seeing where polarities were showing up in my family conversations. So after applying it to myself, I began to see these patterns showing up in my family. And oftentimes, when we would get together as family, there you know, family members would be having challenges in their workplace, or they were struggling with some personal life decisions that they needed to make. And so it was a great way for me to utilize kind of a safe place to practice some of those polarity concepts within those discussions. And just like with myself, you know, I could listen for those interdependent pairs that were showing up and point them out. And, um, kind of listening to the story and beginning to map it out. You can draw like really easy maps on a napkin or the back of a piece of paper when you're having those conversations with family members. And I found that pretty easy to do that, to help with the discovery. And they're pretty open because family are coming to you and they're discussing their lives. And they're usually pretty open about you using any technique because you're paying attention to what they're saying to you and you're giving them time. And so I've used it with my daughters, I've used it with my mom, my husband Phil, as well as sisters, sister-in-laws, brothers, brother-in-laws, and my nephews and nieces who I see during the holidays and they always have stories about work or things they're dealing with in life decisions and it's just really a great time to practice and I get really comfortable using that as a practice field because they know me and they're looking for help. And so it's not confrontational. It's pretty easy. And you get to help people you most care about in your life. So it's really been a win-win for me to use it in that way. And then I guess stepping beyond that and thinking about community. Uh, One other example I could share is just, you know, being a little braver um, and taking it out to a church family. Again, you're often pretty comfortable within your church congregation, But one other opportunity I had was to introduce polarity Thinking uh, with consistory at church. And I was an ordained deacon, and I was brand new in my role on consistory. And um, I had just, you know, pretty much signed up for a three-year commitment as a consistory member. And the pastor left the church right about that same time, which, if you've ever been on a consistory, makes your work 10 times harder when you don't have a pastor at the helm. And so... Um, elders, deacons, really had to put our heads together and help to search for a new pastor. And one of the things that we needed to do as a consistory is put together the position profile, like what were we looking for as far as characteristics of our uh, a new pastor that we were seeking for our church. So what was interesting as the group sat down and began writing down what they wanted um, as characteristics for the next pastor is many of them were a poll, and because I had been working with polarity management, I picked up on it right away. So anything that the past the past pastor was, they wanted the opposite of that. So the past pastor focused on inreach, and so they wanted somebody who was really good at outreach, and they wanted to really focus on outreach and not inreach. And the uh, the past um, pastor was really good at preaching. But they wanted then to have somebody who would teach on the pulpit and not just preach and have them dig into the scripture and be a really good teacher. And then our past pastor had a lot of connections in the local community he was very involved. But then they wanted to look for somebody who was globally connected with churches all over the U.S. and the world so that they could bring a broader perspective and new learning into the church. And I just sat there and I said, okay, we need to have somebody who can do inreach and outreach, can preach and teach, and is active locally and globally. Like, it makes so much sense, but we're shifting over to this person who's going to be completely opposite all the characteristics of the other person. So what I did is I spoke about my concern. Again, I was brand new to the group. I asked if I could have 15 minutes on the next agenda. I didn't make a huge deal of it, right? Like when you apply these concepts, you don't have to make a huge deal of it. Um, I presented a few PowerPoint slides. I used the inhale and exhale example like you had mentioned just a few minutes ago because you can feel the tension and it's a pretty easy one for everybody to understand. Um, I pointed out areas then in the job profile where I thought it was one-sided thinking. And in order to have our church thrive, which everybody agreed we wanted a thriving congregation and church that was having an impact in the world and the local community, that we really needed to relook at the job profile. And we had a really good discussion about why everybody was wanting to move to the other side of those characteristics. What, what was the fear? And it was a great conversation. It took maybe 15, 20 minutes total. We changed the profile and handed it over to The committee that was doing the search. And in the end, I truly believe we got a better pastor because of it. So, again, it was just taking a few steps and raising my hand and saying, hey, I think I can help. And it was well received. Again, a little safer than maybe a workplace, Um, maybe not quite as safe as doing it with family, but it was like my first step out um, doing it in more of a peer group. So I don't know if those examples are maybe helpful.
0: Oh, very. Oh, I
2: think they're extremely
0: helpful, extremely helpful. And, you know, when you know the predictability of polarities that aren't managed, it really kind of pushes the courage out of you. Like, you know, I have to bring this forward. So I think that's a great example. And look at the outcome.
2: It was a great outcome. And that pastor was with the church for quite some time and made some good, significant change and uh, held on to some of the things that the congregation really cared about. So I think it was good.
1: Well, and I think, too, you know, it turned out the way you had hoped it would, uh, but it was not threatening, right? I mean, it was just, here's my observation— here's what we're going after. And, you know, here's my thoughts that maybe we want both of these things and not just one of them, right? Like, or just one-sided thinking. So I think, again, it's just your casual way of, and not making a big deal about it, but just bringing it. And you know what, sometimes it's all you got to do and you might not get it right away, right? But you can't not say something. That's the point I think, right? Right, You just need to step forward and say, here's how I see things. And everybody should be able to do that, right?
2: Exactly. And yeah, it's just being brave enough and and caring enough to say it because you don't want to go down. When you care so much about it, you don't want to go down the wrong road, right? So then you speak up, you get brave, you say, hey, I care. And if they know you're coming at it because you care versus you're trying to win or look smart or trick somebody or whatever, you know, or jam something down their throat so that they have to learn something new. You know, that's really not the point. I think if you just focus on how much you care about the outcome, then you're listened to. And you just take that approach and it's it's definitely more, you know, well received.
1: Yeah. Well, it's the intention. And then the other yes. thing I heard is that you focused everybody on that shared purpose. Like mm-hmm. here's what we want, right? This is our shared purpose for even coming together to talk about this. Exactly. And so it wasn't about what I want or how I see it. It was about here's my observation, but here's what we want, right? So let's and this would help us get there. So I think yeah, I love that. Great example. Well, and we know because of
0: your professional work history, you've worked in a lot of different organizations that the polarities showed up wherever you went, whatever position you were in. Um, yeah. And uh, we also know as healthcare leaders that the, they show up again and again and again. And one of the things Diane we always like to chuckle about is the here we go again file <laughs> <laughs> because oh, you, yes because
2: <laughs> usually I still have that file. <laughs> Keep it handy. Keep it handy. You <laughs> seem so smart, but you're just like working on the same stuff. <laughs> yeah, here we go.
1: Forty years later,
0: but but we know that you have um, you've done some amazing work of introducing polarity thinking and new ways of thinking in organizations that you've worked in. And so, give us some examples how you have helped your introduce it to teams or people you've mentored. What are some examples you can share with our listeners?
2: Great. Well, you know, when you lead teams, you have a wonderful opportunity to achieve greater success when you incorporate polarity thinking. You just do. It allows you to be more intentional. And in the process of doing that, you get to teach new skills and concepts to the team more broadly. um, And you develop more of a collective understanding of what you're trying to do. And you develop that collective language that you can use. So it's you know, the more you do it, the easier it is. And so, I would say with um, the team that I had prior to the team that I had now, I got to a pretty good place with the use of uh, polarity thinking and using maps and and using it in dialogue quite a bit. And I'm with my current team. I've been um, just, well, I'm into my second year, about a little over a year and eight months or so. Um, we're still working on it. It's, a, it's always a work in progress when you start with a new team, um, because it does take a little while to build it into the culture. But um, I really think if you're intentional about it, you can kind of ward off this either or thinking. Um, you know, I find myself using polarity thinking vocabulary quite a bit right now with my current team. I think it's really important for them to hear the language. In my day-to-day leadership uh, style. Um, So it, it can just become how you think about your work. And I think if you're authentic, and you think about it that way, it's translating your thinking into words and actions that people can see. So I think that's the biggest thing, no matter what team I'm leading, that I focus on. And especially with a new team, I start off using the words, right? I begin working on that culture intentionally just by using the words and introducing the words um, that I use. And they get curious about it. Like, what do you mean by that? And why do you say and in both? Like, they'll hear me say and in both and they'll say, what do you mean by and in both? You know, so it's it's fun to be able to take just that and kind of move forward with some examples of why I use and in both, and um, some other like more specific examples is you know I conduct weekly or every other week one on ones um, with the individuals on my team, and uh, they're all in leadership roles. Most of them lead other team and or um, you know manage. And coach their teams. And uh, the meetings intentionally um, are about their agenda. So I always say, this is, this is your meeting. You can bring um, things that you need uh, to discuss collectively with me. It's your agenda. So we spend time ma- mainly on their pressing topics, and during those conversations, I listen carefully to how they explain their situations, you know, the language that they're using to describe their dilemmas. I might say something like, "What well, sounds like you have a preference for, you know, fill in the blank, right? You have a preference for this. Can you talk more about that? So let's discuss why that approach is so great. Tell me why you love that. Why are you leaning towards that approach with your team? And so I let them talk about that. And then I'll ask about the other perspective. Well, you know, there might be a a different way to think about this or another opinion about uh, that particular approach. And then I'll say, are there things that you don't like about that other approach? And so, you know, ultimately we get to the downsides of the approach that they don't like, especially if I know it's a polarity. Like I know there's going to be downsides. It's predictable. Um, so I have them, you know, talk about that. And and then I say, well, what's so, what, what's so great about the, you know, let's, the, you have upsides of your approach. What do you think are some of the upsides of that opposing approach? So we talked about why you don't like it. Do you think there might be some reason why others find that approach really attractive or their preference? And so we talk about that. And then lastly, I look at the downsides of their approach. So once they realize there's upsides of both, they know there's going to be downsides of both. So it's easier to go there last. Um, And so in using that in my mentoring or my one-on-one conversations, it's not so threatening and I'm just really digging into their issue. And a lot of times they find their own solutions that kind of maintain the upsides of both. So I always think that that's a pretty good way to go about it and, and we get a chance to discuss kind of their dilemma. And we, I use some new language with them. And the more they get used to that in their mentoring one-on-ones, the more they expect it from me. So, you know, I just talk through the map. I don't draw it. I just watch patterns in their in the presentation of their dilemma. And we I talk through the sides of the map. And I bring some new language to that. So that's one example. Uh, another thing I do is... Um, um, I am a participative manager. Um, My current team, just an example that I did lately with them, uh, the leadership team was to help them um, understand budget better and the budget cycle and actually have them participate in the budget. And most of them, it was the very, very first time that they had ever been asked to participate in the budget because they had more of a directive approach uh, to how they were being led before, specifically around budget and had never asked. And so because it was their first time, I had to do a lot of discussion around and check in around the importance of mission and margin. So we did a check-in as a group around no mission, no margin. we used a little um, a little gif, a little clip uh, to explore what they thought about mission and margin and what their preference was and why both were important. And as we were negotiating our budget and we had to have some gives and some takes and some things that we had to push off to the next next budget cycle, we were able to more, more easily make those decisions because we had had an opportunity to talk about, you know, just on the phone. It wasn't, again, anything huge. It wasn't a big exercise that we had to do, but we spent time just talking about The upsides of mission and margin and the interrelatedness between the decisions we had to make um, around the budget and mission and margin. And most people care about money. They manage their own money. So it's a pretty easy discussion to have. And so it's another fairly easy place to start, even as a leader, if you want to include them in budget decisions, you know, as a team, if they've not done that before. It's another really good polarity to start with as one of the first ones you might approach with a team. And then the other thing I love to do with in-person meetings is do room splits around particular polarities. So this is so much fun. And um, it's great to see where the energy sits in the room. Like if you ask them their preference poll and they physically have to get up and stand in it, right, and make a choice it's so great because they can not only see where their own energy sits and, but they can see how it relates to other people on the team. And it gives you a good opportunity to kind of walk the map and ask each side about their upsides and then ask the opposite sides about the downsides and just have a really good discussion around that. And, um, the other thing that I do during a room split is I find it a good opportunity to be vulnerable with the team around what side I chose. So there can be issues in leadership um, if somebody is in the uh, has an opposing viewpoint than the leader, right? And so you want to help them feel comfortable right away that there's no right answer, that the right answer is both. And so if they see you solidly on the other side, sometimes people begin to worry like, oh, shouldn't I think like she thinks? And so it's a great opportunity to talk about diversity of thought and how we need to have the upsides of both. And if we didn't have the other voice, we would be at risk. If everybody was on one side, we would be at risk of making really bad decisions as a team. And so it shows our diversity. It shows that um, also I can give, you know, examples um, of where. If they see me solidly on one side, but they see behaviors on the other, they know that I'm managing it. So, for instance, like I said earlier, I love participate. I I like to um, have participation in decisions. I like the team to experience participation and decision making. Right. So, I'll stand clearly on that side of that map. However, they will see times when I step in and I'm very directive. But typically, I check in with them, and I'll say, I don't mean for this to feel directive because I typically am on the participative side. However, it seems like since the last time we talked, we have not made progress. So I feel like maybe we're doing a little bit of swirling or not able to decide or move forward or move to action, and that might be that we're seeing some red flags. And because I'm seeing a red flag, I'm asking the group, do you need me to make decisions or to provide better direction so that we can collectively make better decisions, and so I always think that that's you know a good approach, and it takes it out of being a micromanager. It shows that you can you're doing both. You're participative, but you can when you need to make directive decisions, you can to kind of keep the ball rolling. So it's also a nice opportunity to be vulnerable, um, and. And just reinforce the concepts and, again, provide that that common language around polarities themselves. So um, I am going to do a RIM split next week. Um, I'm bringing my leadership team together next week. And we're in person. And one of our ongoing challenges is the overall production schedule for our clinical content. Um, I've uncovered that this is a longstanding challenge, and it's not been addressed, and they've been swinging uh, between rigid schedules and really f- a lot of flexible schedules, um, and neither one of them has been working really well. And um, we have what I would say are very strong opinions on the team about rigidity or flexibility. So (laughs) it boils down to the fact that we need to have a really good discussion about it. So I'm going to do a room split. We're going to see where people sit on it. We're going to do a map uh, so that as we begin to build our new production process and expectations, we're managing the upsides of both the need for structure and rigidity because you do need that. And you also need to be flexible so that you can... um, just respond to the market, respond to customer, do the things that you need to do so that you can maintain you know a really good production schedule that keeps all of that um, you know in mind. So anyways, that is happening next week, so I'll let you know how that goes. And then the last thing I wanted to mention is just drawing a polarity map in the moment in the moment. I love doing that. In my last position, the team got really accustomed to me just standing up and they say, there she goes again. I'm going to stand up to the whiteboard. I'm going to draw a map. It's pretty easy to draw a polarity map. It's just a square and some lines. And, you know, it um, is really easy to figure out the polls. You can pick it up in the conversation. You throw it up there. Sometimes I'll say, well, what do you think the polls are? Let's write them up here and I'll get other people to stand up and start writing with me. It's just really easy. And again, it doesn't have to be complicated. And all I do is I just take a time out. I'll say, "Um, I think we can solve this in a new way. I'm just going to take a time out and I'm going to stand up and draw something. And why don't you all come up and be with me here? And like I said, they got used to me doing that. I've not done that so much with my new team yet, uh, but I might be doing that next week if um, if I uncover something where I need to dig in a little further, especially around that production schedule. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, that's always fun. I love drawing polarity maps in the moment.
1: Yeah, it is fun, right? And it oh, yes. it just it frees people up, right? Mm-hmm. To bring their perspective. And I think what I appreciated so much Diane is, you know, your vulnerability as a leader. And I just, you know, I think there's not enough of that these days from my opinion. It's my limited story. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I just think what that does, what struck me is it creates psychological safety in the group. So yes. they're not afraid to bring their voice even if they're the only voice, right? Because they know that there's this openness, that there's, there always is, you know, there's always more than one perspective, right? And by bringing that, you help to open up that whole, that uh, bigger view of what's really happening, right? And so I just really appreciate that. Um, And there's a lot going on right now around psychological safety, you know, and organizations and healthcare organizations, especially, and, really um, creating that opportunity for people to feel safe to bring whatever it is they have to bring.
2: Yeah, you have to be intentional around that and you have to care about it as a leader. If you're a different type of leader and you just care about self-promotion or whatever else is on your agenda or being right, um, you'll never tap the wisdom of the team and you'll never get the great outcomes that you could potentially get. So I really think, again, it's one of those things that starts with you and you have to know yourself and you have to be vulnerable if you're going to be authentic and, and real, and they have to see you make mistakes, too, so that they can make them. So, I don't know. It it's all goes back to what what kind of leader you want to be and then how you take that thought of what you want to be and intentionally put it into your actions. Again, thoughts and actions. So. But thanks for saying that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the other thing I just wanted to ask you is, you know, I, when we hear this all the time, when we talk with people about polarities and the mapping and just the language and the words. And, you know, what are a couple of really strong um, benefits that stand out for you to have that common language with your team? Like, you know, it's not just you saying it, but they start to use it. And what are a couple benefits that you see as a leader in having that common language
2: Yeah, I think it takes a while to establish it, like I had said. But once you do have that common language established and that there's this understanding of polarity thinking within the team, there are several benefits, actually. I mean, with repetition, it becomes that norm, right? And that's what you would hope as a leader. You still model the behavior. However, you don't have to do as much education around the concepts. Um, And then even when new members join the team, They pick it up faster because it becomes part of the culture. So that is a huge benefit to onboarding team members. You know, like if you have it more hardwired in your culture, it's easier for them to pick it up because they feel it like it's palpable right? Secondarily, I think the team better appreciates diversity of thought. They come to a place of recognizing that their own thoughts are going to be appreciated. And so it moves them more to appreciative inquiry and supporting others' thoughts um, and just inviting that diversity of thought. Um, I think that you come to agreements faster when there's this common language because you you know, pick up on you pick up faster on what people are trying to say, and the team will start asking things like, is this a problem or a polarity? Um, do we need a map? You know, so they start using that language, and that's what you would want, is that they start incorporating it even when you're not in the room. And then um, you collectively manage the downsides. So I think the team begins to recognize and asks, you know, is this a red flag or are we living in the downside of something? And so again it's best if they begin doing that on their own, but you as a leader can never stop modeling it. Um, but I do think it, you decrease how much you have to teach over time when you hardwire it in the culture.
1: Yeah, I think um, what struck me is that they, they know what to call what they're experiencing, right? They know how to name it. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's what we're experiencing, right? This is the downside of X mm-hmm. or this is, hey, this is one of our early warning signs. Like before they would just know something wasn't right or there was a lot of tension, but maybe they didn't know exactly what was happening. Mm-hmm. But I think when you, when it is in the culture and they know the polarities that they're, they're having to manage or leverage, they know what it is that they're experiencing and can get to that engagement right away, right? To your mm-hmm. point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Kind of keeps you more out of the blame game and yeah. <laughs> going down the wrong the wrong the wrong path too soon. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. right.
1: That's right. So you've given a lot of really yeah. great examples of how you use this person, kind of your your path, you know, to developing your skills and using it with your teams. What advice do you have for leaders that are just starting out? They want to apply it in their organization. Like what are a couple of strong components, you know, that you would recommend that they start with?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, again, they should have maybe practiced on themselves first. So again, I go back to that. I think that's invaluable, at least it was for my journey. And then I think starting with the common ones, um, ones that resonate with the broadest of populations of people, things that are easier for them to maybe do, like managing home and work. Everyone deals with this one. I have found that anytime I bring this one up in any group, whether it's a peer group, or if I'm managing up, or if it's with a team, everybody's trying to manage home and work, and they get that one, and it's pretty easy to use, so it's a common one. And then you can also use the fun one, so people also have fun activities and hobbies. A lot of times, uh, people maybe are doing exercise programs, and they overdo, so you could do activity rest. Um, you know, so that's another one. And then also, we're all caregivers, so we're clinicians, we tend to take care of others before we take care of ourselves. So self and others, um, self-care and others' care might be another one to, to work on first because, you know, with everything that's going on right now um, in the workplace around clinician burnout, if you're working as a leader in a healthcare organization, I think starting with self and others might be a good one as well. Um, and, uh, you know, if you have fun and you see some your team overall, see some outcomes with it and they can apply it personally. Um, I think it makes it easier to move to discussing more of the difficult ones and, um, kind of moving up, um, the degree of difficulty in the ones that you bring to your team. So I'd start with the, with the, uh, common and fun ones.
0: It's a great recommendation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things that we've noticed, um, I I think all three of us is there's innovation is the new buzzword in healthcare. And I can't think of a conference I go to or on social media. It's just innovation is everywhere. And, and I know, you know this Diane, because of the work you're in right now. Um, what advice would you give uh, for people that are leaders in healthcare and they're trying to be innovative now how to look at that through a polarity lens and how important that is and what experience have you had with that?
2: Yes. I mean, I would agree. We have an obsession with change and innovation right now and it's running rampant and it's probably a good thing in some industries like healthcare because we're really ripe for some disruption and change and innovation right now. So it's probably a good thing, but in the midst of all the change flurry that's going on, right, we can forget about stability and, um, it's just as important. It's that important cousin to change, you know, the other pole. Um, But a lot of times it's all focused on change. And so it's important that if you're feeling that in your organization, that you are brave enough to kind of bring up the fact that there are maybe a lot of people who are opposed and are not as excited about change. So one example I have of that is in my last company, uh, we were going through a significant amount of change through mergers and acquisitions. And so We were changing a lot of things, right, changes in the workforce, uh, reorganizations, position realignments, changes in job titles and pay peer, you know, pay um, levels. we were trying to figure out how to integrate products from diverse portfolios. I mean, there were a lot of activities that they were trying to manage as part of the merger and acquisition change. So they hired a consulting firm to come in and lead those efforts. And um, they were trying to put together a change champion network. And so they had asked me if I would Uh, be someone from the leadership team um, to participate and uh, be in that network because I had had a background in change theory and transformation, and so they thought that I would be a good representative of the leadership team on that group. And um, it was all levels of the organization. They did a really good job at putting together a great network, but when they brought in those consultants, I mean, everything that they were doing around messaging and trying to manage that change was all change vernacular all of the language was around change 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 and nothing was focused on the things that weren't going to change so instantly i thought i i have to speak up and say something because If we move forward with this type of messaging that's only focused on change, we're going to meet so much resistance from probably half the people that work there, those that are already being affected by position realignments and reorganization and products that they love getting sunset. I mean, it's a big deal. And so I brought my concerns to the leadership and the consulting firm. I sat down and had a discussion around that, and I used the stability change map to demonstrate how the team, um, like half of our teams would probably have a preference for stability and what would be important for them, and that we would need to change our verbiage and our messaging, if we were going to really hold the interest of both sides and really manage both change and stability. And there were a lot of things that weren't changing. And those were some really good things that they, that were not going to change. And so we needed to make sure we were messaging those things as well as the things that were changing. So it did change the approach and they changed their language. Um, So it was also a good outcome of just raising my hand. And I felt probably a little bit more at risk in doing this, because I put a halt to the process and I was one of maybe a hundred people in this change network and no one else was speaking up. So I felt like a lone wolf. Um, But it had to be said, and, you know, I let go of the outcome. I just said I have to bring it forward, and it's up to the overall leadership team to decide if they want to do anything with what I'm bringing. I'll bring it in a way that's not threatening, and I'm going to let go of the outcome. And in the end, you know, they did change some of the things they did, and I'm hoping it had a good impact over time because I think that one – is probably still being measured, <laughs> but it's an example again of, you know, we are obsessed with change. People think change is good and stability is bad, but in the end, change and stability are both good. And um, you need to maintain both of those. If you're going to have any good change effort, you also have to focus on keeping those things stable where you can. And it helps people move along with the change if they know they have something to hold on to that's stable. So, um yeah, so that was an example of uh, just other leaders and how they might think about how much change is occurring right now in their organization and how can they bring and manage the
1: stability message at the same time. I think that's an excellent example of it wasn't like, oh, we have to keep all these things stable. There were already things that were remaining stable that you just needed to acknowledge and to bring forth in the messaging right yeah, so exactly i think that's just so wise and i think the other thing that it did, that came forth for me is when we talk with people about polarities it's kind of like when you do the room split and you can yeah. visibly see most of the people are sitting on one pole right the importance to listen to the voice that's smaller that doesn't have so many people behind it, that there is wisdom in the resistance, right? And that, you know, it's, it's important to open yourself up to hear what that message is. And so I think that's an excellent example of how important that is and how it can change things, right, for the best, for mm-hmm, everybody. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're so brave.
2: Absolutely. It wasn't a stability champion network, right? <laughs> so I did feel a little bit on the other side. I'm like, well, wait a minute here. I love change, but boy, everybody else in this room is way on the change side. That's why they were chosen.
1: <laughs> well, that's right. And and a lot of people are, right? And so that's why it's so important to say, wait a minute, what about the people that aren't in represented in this group, right? Yeah. What is the smaller voice that we haven't heard? Absolutely. And you were bringing that. So that's great. I got one more thing before we start to wrap up here for you. And now this right. might might be tough, I don't know. You have to think about it. But have have you ever seen the movie Sliding Doors? Yes, I love With, that movie. Right. So it's Gwyneth Paltrow, uh-huh. right? And she's a young woman and the if you haven't seen the movie, I would highly recommend it. It's a great movie. But the whole, you know, plot is that she's going to get on this train, right? And what happens to her life when she gets on the train? And what happens when something interrupts her path and she doesn't get on the train? So you see both sides of her life and how it plays out over time and the difference in it. So my question to you, Diane, is if you think of polarity thinking like a sliding door, right? To think polarities or not to think polarities, (laughs) (laughs) how different do you think your leadership life would have been without polarities? If you think back to kind of the leader you were before you knew about them, mm-hmm. and the leader you are now, could you could you describe how that how that might have been different? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, it is a hard question to answer because I guess I walked through the polarity thinking door. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you did. You got on the train, the polarity right, thinking I got train. On the um, the movement's been
2: great. Um, I do think polarity thinking is transformational. So if you think about the transformation you go through personally, it's hard to think about ever going back, right? That's the whole thing with transformation. It's about not going back. It's You change who you are completely. So it is a little hard to think back. But personally, I don't think I would be the same if I was never introduced to the concepts. Um, I feel blessed and fortunate, of course, to have been given the opportunity to learn about um, and leverage clarity thinking for more than like 20 years now. Yeah, You know, and it's been a continuous journey, but it's been amazing. And um, however, I guess to go back to answer your question more specifically, um, I think I would have spent more time reinventing the wheel, probably shifting back and forth between different initiatives. Um, I might have been over revising my strategic plans more than I needed to. Uh, maybe wasting time and money, and um, probably all of it on unsustainable work. So that's kind of how I would have seen myself, right? Um, I also think my relationships with others would not be as strong or significant. I can sit now a lot better in opposition, you know, really knowing that there's two sides to a lot of the stories that we tell. And I understand preference, and fear better. So I think that helps you be in relationships different. I think it changes the way you have conversations with others, whether it's in the workplace or in your home. And it makes you safe, right? I don't find like I have to move forward and win anything. It's just a matter of being understood and knowing that you represent only half sometimes with that preference. So I also like have the privilege to mentor a group of young adults on their career path and I coach them. There's a number of them that I work with on the side and they have work dilemmas, personal dilemmas, and I really believe my coaching style would be very different if I hadn't have learned, you know, polarity thinking. Um, I think I truly provide a different or a differentiated perspective um, and approach when they spend time with me. Um, I use my polarity thinking toolkit and I leverage it in the discussions that I have. And I think that they notice that some of the things they get from me are a little more challenging and more rewarding. And I also feel really blessed, obviously, that they trust me um, during our engagements. And I, I also learn so much from them. And it helps me hone my skills and my leadership approaches and apply them back to my team at EBSCO. So. Again, it gives me another practice field, which I love. And so, but I do think I'd be a different coach, a different mentor if I didn't know
1: polarity thinking. Maybe your questions wouldn't be as deep. You know, like right. when you think about how you were describing yeah. the questions and the way that you question people and their experiences, right? Yeah, um, it might be a more of a higher level and not as much depth uh, for them, right? To really do that reflection that you're asking them to do. So, and you'd right. be Thanks.
0: you'd be overworked and really tired, and you wouldn't have time for
1: vacations. <laughs> Well, that is so true. They can't have that. <laughs> See right there. Polarity <laughs> thinking is the reason you are going to Spain and Portugal.
2: Absolutely. Like, what it's an amazing I'm...
1: way of thinking. And look what happens. <laughs> it's a good thing. It is all good. It is yes, all good. Yes, it is. Thanks so much, Diane, for sharing that. That. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Any last comments you want to make?
2: Um, I guess my parting thoughts would be some recap of maybe the key points. So um, for those that are listening, really, it starts with you. Practice on yourself first. Be authentic. Um, Beyond yourself, find your practice field, whether it be at home or with friends or in a community. um, The important thing is you have to practice. You have to, you know, take some steps. Um, When you experience positive outcomes, share it. Um, Be a champion for it. Uh, you learn by doing. So experiment and build your toolkit. Build the toolkit of things that work for you. You know, everybody is a little different in how they approach it. So use those things that work best for you and your leadership style. But, you know, be brave um, when you have to bring the truths because you care. You care about the outcomes. So as long as you care, you can bring that truth and you can use your toolkit. So those would be my my bit of a recap parting thoughts.
0: Wonderful words of wisdom, Diane. Um, Just fantastic interview. Thank you so much. And I really feel so blessed that we have been on this journey with you for these 20-plus years as well. And I think just sitting back and listening to your vision of your journey, your story, I just really appreciate that the ability to apply polarity thinking grows over time, and a maturity that is just really profound, like anything else, but you have to apply you have to apply it, right? That's yeah. demonstrated yeah, that very well.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think yeah. the other thing is just the intention, mm-hmm. right? And that that didn't just happen. You're a very intentional person, and I think that's what this takes, right? It, it's, it's one thing to know, oh, yeah, right? I know what a polarity is. I see it. I know the difference between that and a problem. But it takes intention to make a difference with it, for yourself personally, and then for others that you lead and the organizations that you're in. And it just takes intention to hone that skill and let it grow and evolve with you over time, right? So thank you so much for sharing that and your wonderful, awesome wisdom You are very welcome. It was fun. Yeah, it's
2: great. And so we have that common language, right? As polarity thinkers, which is great. And what I always love is like when I'm with the two of you and we recognize the polarity because they're everywhere. We look at each other. (laughs) Polarity! We we notice it right away. And it's like the (laughs) world just needs this help, right? They need to better understand so that we have better sustainable outcomes overall. Um, So great work you guys are doing. So thanks for having me here.
1: Well, thanks for everything you're doing out there. Yeah. Keep doing it. Have have a great week next week. I will. Yeah. We can't wait to hear about that polarity. Maybe you can come back and talk about it on the podcast, right? (laughs) (laughs) On another episode. That'd be awesome. All right. All right. right. Thanks so much. All right.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Take care.
1: Bye. Bye.
0: If you found our conversation insightful or helpful, please share this episode with others you think might benefit. Also, go out to iTunes and rate the
1: show and share a review because we really like those positive ones. Wink, wink. You can access today's show notes and downloads at www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast. If you want to learn more about polarities in healthcare or how you might manage them in your organization, you can contact us for a free consultation. Just go to our website at www.missinglogic.com.